we want to give to every person today the warmest welcome to the Community Adventist Fellowship and the Carter Report Television Ministry. And today we want to give also a very special welcome to our viewers, not only across North America, but our new viewers in Russia. We're glad that you've joined us today, and we give you a very special welcome. Today we're going to talk in our sequence on the Book of Romans in Romans chapter 6. Did you know the Bible tells us the exact minute, the exact moment of our death? Did you know that? Would you like to know the exact moment when you died? Would you like to know the exact moment of your death? The Bible tells you, and we'll reveal it to you today, the very moment of your death. And I'm not telling this to be funny, I'm serious. Then we're going to answer the question, if I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone, is it necessary to keep the law of God, the Ten Commandments? It's been my privilege to conduct large evangelistic campaigns around the world. And whenever I preach on the law of God, I will have people come to me, often preachers, and they'll say, don't you know, hasn't anybody ever told you that Jesus, when he died, nailed the law to the cross? The Ten Commandments are no longer relevant, so don't talk to us about the Ten Commandments because they were nailed to the cross. We're going to answer the question, if I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone, is it necessary as a saved Christian to keep the commandments of God? Today, we're going to have as a part of our service seven little helpers, and we'll introduce them as we go along today, and they will help me to show to you the relationship between God's law and the gospel. I want you please now to take your Bible and uh, we're going to turn to Romans chapter 6 and verse 1, dear friends, as we continue in our studies in the greatest book in the Bible, the book Tyndale calls Good, Glad, and Merry Tidings that makes a man's heart to sing for joy and his feet to dance. This is going to be a Bible study. I hope that you'll all take a Bible and follow me today. Romans 6 verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning? so that grace may increase. Why would he ask such a question? If you come back to Romans 5 and verse 20, it gives you the context, and a text without the context is a pretext. And Romans 5, 20 says, The law was added so the trespass might increase, and where sin increased, grace increased all the more. The Bible teaches that when sin came in like a flood, the grace of God came in even more abundantly. And so people back in the days of Paul were tempted to say, if sin, the coming of sin, increases the grace of God, then let's all sin. Let's do a lot of sinning, because the more sinning we do, the more grace of God we'll have. And so Paul now confounds the critics, and he says with the question, shall we continue in sin, that grace may abound? But then he gives the answer, certainly not, by no means. Notice the next verse of this chapter, Romans 6 and verse 2. Romans 6 verse 2. By no means, or in the King James Version it says, God forbid, by no means we died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? Uh, there was a little song that was written years ago that talks about the philosophy of some people as far as grace and the law of God is concerned. It goes something like this. Free from the law, oh happy condition, sin all you like, and then get remission. So the idea is 
because you're saved, you don't need to worry about the law of God because that ugly old law was nailed to the cross. And if you want to cheat and steal and do whatever you like and break God's commandments, including the fourth commandment, then just go ahead and do that. Free from the law, oh happy condition, sin all you like and then get remission. But the Bible says, shall we continue in sin, seeing we're saved by grace, so that grace may abound? Then he says, by no means. How can we, if we died to sin, live in it any longer? Now, would you please notice verse 3 of Romans 6, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? I want you to think of those words. He says, when a person is baptized, he's baptized into his death. This is significant also from another viewpoint because it tells you the right way to be baptized. When a person dies, I say this, I hope, with some dignity. Uh, when a person dies and you have a funeral, you don't just sprinkle some dirt on him. When a person dies, he's put under. He's put under. That's why we have what they call undertakers. Because they take you under. Didn't you know this? <laughs> An undertaker is a person who takes you under. And so when a person dies, he's buried. The Bible says, when I die with Christ, I'm buried. And therefore, a person ought to be baptized under the water. In the water, under the water, he ought to be baptized by immersion. The Bible nowhere talks about the baptism of babies, and it nowhere talks about the sprinkling of babies or the sprinkling of adults. It's always baptism by immersion. And so it says, notice the text. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now the Bible talks here about dying and the Bible here talks about coming to life again. I want you to think about these verses now in possibly a new way. This is going to be a new thought to some of us. The Bible says we died to sin. Now it says those words, it says we died to sin. And then it says we were buried with Christ. And then it also says, just as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we are raised up by the power of the resurrection, so we shall live a new life. Therefore, the Bible teaches that a Christian is both dead and living. This is a paradox. The Bible says that when I come to Christ and I become a true Christian, the Bible says I'm dead and yet I'm living. Now the Apostle Paul uses this expression about dying over and over and over again. And most theologians and most church people get it right 50%. But they don't get the first 50%. And the first 50% is the most important. The Apostle Paul says in another one of his books in Galatians, I am crucified with Christ. So he says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not, not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Here in Romans he says, we are baptized into Christ's death. Then he says, we died to sin. 
And then in second, you don't need to turn to this passage now, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 14, he says, If one died for all, then we're all dead. This is very significant. In fact, it's so significant, keep your finger in Romans chapter 6, and come with me to 2 Corinthians, if you don't mind. I think you should see this. Would you come with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 14, because... It's all tied together. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, written by the same person, the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. This is similar to what he's saying in Romans 6. He says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all. Therefore, Jesus, listen to me, look at me. How many did Jesus die for? Jesus died for every person. Died for every person, every nationality. Jesus died for all. Now, let's read the text again. Verse 14. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. How many died? What does this mean? The Bible says one died for all, therefore all died. In Romans chapter 6, he says, buried with Christ. He says, we died with Christ. As we go through Romans 6 today, we'll notice that he says this phrase over and over again, that when Christ died, I died. Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Listen very carefully to this, because this is a tremendous truth. It is a great truth. The idea about dying with Christ can be understood in two ways, and both are important. Number one, historically, and number two, experientially. Let me talk about historically. When Jesus hung on the cross, Jesus was bearing the sin of the whole world. When Jesus hung on the cross, he was bearing Cindy's sin, Ron's sin, Steve's sin, my sin, Bob's sin, he was bearing. Daniel's sin, he was bearing the sin of the world. Just before Jesus died, there was a darkness over all the land, a great blackness. That was a dark day, was it not? It was a black day. And then, just before Jesus died, he lifted up his face to the Father, and in a voice like a trumpet, he cried out, it is finished. And then there was a tremendous earthquake. And just before he went to the cross, Jesus said these words, Now is the judgment of the world. Did you know he said that? Jesus said, Now is the judgment of the world. Now Satan is going to be cast out. So here you have the Son of God hanging on the cross. There is darkness over the earth. Then he cries out, it is finished. And then there is a mighty earthquake and he has said, now is the judgment of this world. Now the devil is cast out. I ask you, what does that sound like? What does that sound like to you? Can you think of some other experience in the history of the world when there is darkness over the earth and there's a mighty earthquake and the Son of and God cries out, It is finished, it is done. When does this take place? When is Jesus 
When does Jesus say this? At the second coming. There's a close relationship between the first coming and the second coming. Listen to this. Legally, when Jesus took our sin upon him, and bore the judgment of God for our sin. When Jesus cried out in his darkness, it is finished, when the earth was shaken by a mighty earthquake, then my friend, historically, legally, that was the end of the world. Legally, that was the end of of the, not experientially, but legally, that was the end of the world. That was the judgment of God upon his own son in my place. Legally, this is not some fanciful theology, but it is a truth that most Christians have missed. Legally, when Jesus died Black Friday, 31 AD, at 3 o'clock at the end of the, uh, in that time, 3 o'clock at the time of the Passover, 31, we think it was 31 AD, at the time of the Passover, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, when the veil of the temple was torn in two, when he cried, it is finished. When Jesus hung his head and died legally, the world died too. Legally, that was the moment of your death. Legally. The moment of your death in Christ was Black Friday, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, 31 AD. And the Apostle Paul says, we thus judge, if one died for all, then all died. When I come to Christ and I am in Christ, God regards me as being a dead person who has met all the requirements of the law. I'm crucified with Christ. I'm dead to sin. I'm buried with Christ. You say, why is that such exciting good news? I will tell you why. There was an attorney standing before the judge and the client wasn't there. And the attorney said, your honor, my client is not here. And the judge said, it is a serious offense. The client ought to be here. Why is your client not here? He said, I have three legal reasons why my client cannot make it today. The judge said, give me the three reasons. He said, firstly, my client is dead. Secondly, the judge said, I don't need to hear secondly and thirdly because the law cannot condemn a man when he's dead. I do not need to give you any other reason, but when I am justified by faith, I am regarded by the judge of the earth as being dead, and I have paid my debt in Christ, and the law cannot condemn a dead man. That is the good news.
That is the good news. The law cannot hound me any longer. The law cannot condemn me any longer. The moment of my death was Black Friday, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, 31 AD. We judged that if one died for all, then we're all dead. When I'm in Christ, nothing can touch me. Hear this? When I'm in Christ, nothing can touch me because I have paid in Christ for my sin. That is why I can have assurance that by the grace of God, I am going to go to heaven. Because if one died for all, then we're all dead. Would you please read now verse 6? Romans chapter 6 and verse 6. Romans 6 verse 6. Oh, notice verse 5. For if we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. The Bible says, if I have died, I am freed from sin. I died when Jesus died on the cross, legally. And that's historically. What about experientially? When I come to Christ... I come to Christ with my weaknesses and my sins and I come to Christ and I fall down at his cross and I give my life to Christ and the power of the resurrection comes into this sinful soul of mine and God overthrows the sinful carnal nature. And not only am I crucified with Christ on the cross, but I'm crucified today when Jesus comes and lives in my heart. And so I'm crucified in 31, and I'm crucified today by His grace. Read on. Read on. Verse 8, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. My friend, nothing can add to the death of Jesus on the cross as a substitutionary sacrifice. He died to sin once for all, but he lives to God. Now verse 11 this is a strong verse. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. 
I want to tell you, my friend, we are no longer under the law. We are under grace. What does it mean? Under law. Number one, under the condemnation of the law. Because we have all sinned without Christ, I am under the condemnation of the law. I cannot stand in the sight of a holy God and plead innocency. I, I plead guilty today. I plead guilty. But listen, when I come to Christ, the death of Jesus Christ is counted as my death. God no longer sees me as a living person. He sees me as one who has been put to death. But the Bible says, one who has been resurrected as Jesus was resurrected. So the power of the resurrection comes into my heart through the Holy Spirit and Jesus makes me into a new person. This is the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is seen in its ability to change our lives and to take people who are filled with sin and carnality and by the grace of God change them. Glory be to God. The Bible says sin will no longer be your master. You're not under the law. It's condemnation. And under the law as a means to salvation. If a person is living in the bondage of legalism, then he will have no ability to overcome sin. That is why multitudes of Christians or multitudes of church-going people have no peace, no joy, no victory because they're under the law. They live according to the rules instead of according to the grace of God. The Bible says... Sin will no longer be your master because you're no longer under law but under grace. Now, I have seven beautiful little helpers. I want them to come. And they're going to help me to illustrate the relationship between the gospel and the law of God. And they're going to be seen on television across North America and also, they're going to be seen in Russia. Ah, uh -huh. there they are. Seven special little helpers. Would you welcome them today, please? And they look great. Now, when I put my hand on a child's head, after I've told you what the child's real name is, you will answer. Is that clear? Yes. Say yes. yes. Say yes. yes. Okay, thank you. Now don't get carried away. <laughs> this little girl's name is Law. Come on. What's wrong with you folks? You had no breakfast? Thank you. And the Bible says that sin is the transgression of the law. The Bible says that sin is the transgression of the law. That's very good. And the Bible says that where? Sin. Where? Did abound? 
grace did much more abound. And so, and the Bible tells us because of the great love of God, Jesus gave us grace and grace sent to this world a savior, a savior. God sent to this world a savior and the savior came because of God's to save me from which is breaking the law. That's right, you folks are great. Now the Savior came to this world and the Savior came and preached the gospel. And the gospel is the story of the Savior who tells about the grace of God that saves me from which is breaking the law of God. And the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4 that sin is the breaking of the law of God. And so we believe in this church in the blessed, the blessed gospel. When a person comes to Christ and believes the gospel, then what he ought to do is join the church. And the purpose of the church is to preach the which tells about the coming of the who came to show us the of God which is the story of how God saves me from which is breaking the now the come on again now the hires the preacher so we'll do it again. Now the hires the and the preacher preaches to the about the the gospel that tells about the Savior who came preaching God's which is the story how God saves me from which is breaking the so you see they all work together. There is no conflict between the law of God and the Savior and the gospel. But my friends, something strange has happened today in Christendom. Preachers and churches are saying there is no law. The law was abolished, they say. They say it was nailed to the cross. So we're going to just for a moment get rid of the law. And if there is no law, I say to you, my friend, if there is no law, then there is no, there is no, and if there is no sin, then we do not need any, and if there is no grace, there is no need of a, and so Jesus goes, and if there is no Savior, then my friend, there is no, and if there is no gospel, we might as well close down the church and sack the preacher. Listen. Thank you, children. And you, Lander. When a person comes to Christ, 
and the Holy Spirit comes into his heart. He dies to the old way, and he wants to keep the commandments of God, I tell you. Verse 15 says of Romans 6, What then shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Now the Bible talks about slavery. But listen, I want to tell you folks something. You and I, you're listening to me? Are you listening? Yeah. You and I can never in this lifetime come to the place where we are exempt from the temptations of a fallen nature. The Bible says, reckon it dead. But you've got to reckon it dead all the time. Out in Thousand Oaks, I have what I like to think is a nice lawn. A year ago, I noticed that some weeds had the audacity the nerve to invade my lawn. I took it personally. It was a type of summer grass that has a marvelous root system and the good grass cannot compete with the bad grass that has this very broad leaf. I went to the man at the home depot and I said to him, what shall I do? He said, there's only one or two things you can do. You can get a weed killer and spray it, or else you can dig it out. I tried to dig it out, but there was too much to dig. And so I attacked it with weed killer. And after I had attacked it with weed killer, in a week's time after it appeared to be dead, I dug it out, and the lawn looked a mess. It looked as though it had leprosy. But I got some grass seed, and lovingly and kindly, I helped the grass to grow. With a few threats, what would happen if it didn't? Because I still had the weed killer. But the grass grew. And summer has come again. And as I inspected my little bit of grass the other day, it was with the realization that the weed was back. I may let it stay for another year, but if I do, it will take over the yard. Don't wait until next year. Reckon yourself to be dead to sin. We have the carnal nature. It stays with us, my friend. You've got to put it on the cross. That is why I say to my congregation, 
and to my viewers, read your Bible. You're not reading your Bible, then don't even come and tell me about your spiritual problems because it is your own fault. Don't think that God can help you if you're not going to get out the weed killer. Get out the weed killer. Get out the weed killer. This, my friend, is the weed killer. Feed on the word of God. Count yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. And remember, my friend, we have on our side the power of the resurrected Christ. Please notice, read on in this chapter, Romans chapter 6. Isn't this a powerful chapter? Oh, it's got the power of God in it. Verse 19, I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Amen. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from those things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is everlasting life for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible here talks about slavery. We've got folks in this church, wonderful black folks, beautiful Christians whom I love, some of those folks in this church had ancestors who were slaves. That's something they don't like to think about. It was a black chapter in the history of America and the world. Generally speaking, it wasn't very good to be a slave. Times of brutality, viciousness, hunger, often beaten, sometimes branded like animal, a life of bondage. That's the person without Christ. You think you're smart. You think you're having a good time. You think you can laugh at God and sneer at the preaching of the gospel. I tell you, every man outside of Christ is a slave in bondage, branded with the mark of sin. The Bible says, so don't think you're having a good time. You're not fooling me and you're not fooling God and you're not fooling yourself. But the Bible says we become slaves of righteousness. When we become slaves of righteousness, we have liberty. You tell me a person who's a drunk is free. You tell me a person who can't give up nicotine is free. You tell me a person who's on drugs is free. My friend, there is only freedom in Christ. If you know the Son of God, the Son of God will make you free. You will know the truth. The truth will make you free. I ask you today to be free in Christ. You are no longer under the law, but under grace. Amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son 
and of the Holy Spirit, world without end, forever and ever. Amen and amen.